we're expanding On Being's Civil Conversations Project to be more of a resource for families and communities, for the work of starting new conversations where we live and building common life for this century. Because the point of speaking together differently is to live together differently. Go to civilconversationsproject.org and find audio, video, even a starter guide. Again, that's civilconversationsproject.org. On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation supports academic research and civil dialogue on the deepest, most perplexing questions facing humankind. Who are we? Why are we here? And where are we going? To learn more, please visit templeton.org. The Templeton Foundation. Stay curious. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cuts. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Glenn Beck. Listen to our produced show with him wherever you find your podcasts, and as always, at onbeing.org. Okay. Are they ready? We are recording. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Hi, it's Krista. Hi, Krista. How are you? I'm good. Thank I'm you. glad we're finally yeah, we're sitting good. down. Me too. Wish we were in the same. Wish we were in the same room. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> but there's an intimacy to headphones, don't you think? Like I say to people, it's not like talking on the phone. It's like coming into each other's brains. Oh yeah. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you need anything? Do you need what Glenn had for breakfast? <laughs> okay, he's dying to know yeah. what you had for breakfast. Um. The usual, um, a sweet potato uh, chicken hash. How long have you had that for breakfast? As the usual, I am. I am. <laughs> I am. Uh, I was on this really weird uh, diet uh, of only eighty calories for a long time, and then I got off it, and it's been very bad. And so I'm best back on onto it. Okay. So I eat really weird food. Is it good? Is it a nice way to start the day? Yeah, it is, actually. It is. There's some things that are nasty. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had wheat grass, but good God almighty, I don't know. I think I've had it in smoothies. I admire the people who... What'd you say? I think I've had it in a smoothie. Oh, my gosh. What a way to wreck a smoothie. (laughs) Um, So do you have any questions of me before we start? No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I just, um, as you know, I don't do a gotcha interview. I want to understand. No, I want to listen. I want to ask we'll good go questions. Where, and we'll go wherever you want to go. Yeah, I, trust you. I want to introduce you to um, to my audience. Um, sure. So you know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really not shy of any question as long as it's a fair question. Yeah. As long as it's an honest, honest question. Yeah. Okay. Well, the I, stuff with Sean Spicer and. You know, how can you be a Holocaust denier? It's just crazy. Yeah. He's clearly not a whole. He's just stupid. <laughs> he's not a Holocaust denier. Yeah. He's just dumb. No. Okay. I'm only going to ask honest questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, I... I th- and I and it, this must be the interesting uh, way you live that people feel like they know you, right? I mean, Glenn Beck is a is an is a concept. 
Um, it's a really, it's both good and bad. Right. I get credit for things that I never did and get blamed for things that I never did. Uh, yeah. Uh, just I, depending on who I talk to. I mean, I was just thinking about it as I started to delve into preparing to talk to you as I do with every interview, but just that, again, like, you know, Glenn Becker's concept, and then you start getting to know the, the human, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so I just want to um, start where I, I always start my interviews, whoever I'm talking to, um, sure. asking about the spiritual background of your childhood. And, and what I want to say to you is that, you know, sometimes... I mean, everybody has a story. Sometimes it's a religious story, but I've also come to really have an expansive understanding of what that means. And boy, when I look at your childhood, I mean, your mother dying when you were a teenager. Um, I mean, there, there was so much hardness in that. And I, and I just want to say, I the, to me, that also, I've got to think that that... <sighs> That was part of the spiritual background of your childhood and or overshadowed it or both. I think um, uh, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I had a, an encounter, at least I feel, with God when I was eight, mm. seven actually. And... Um, it actually kind of screwed me up um, quite a bit uh, later in life. And it wasn't until 40 that I actually gave up on on that. Um, I heard when I was seven uh, in my own head, um, what you do in life will be a pivot point. Mm. And um, I didn't understand it, but it was so clear and so different. And I, I don't even, I don't even remember why that, I mean, it was just bizarre. Um, and then, um, about four weeks before my mother died, I had another spiritual brush. I was walking by my mom whose hands were in the sink in the kitchen and I was in the hallway and I was walking by and, and, um, I again heard a voice in my own head as clear as day, stop, go back, kiss your mother and tell her you love her. She won't be here much longer. Hmm. And um, I didn't. I dismissed it. And uh, a few weeks later, she was she was dead. Then that happened with my grandfather. And then that happened with a girl that I was dating in high school. Um, uh, she had a headache, and I and I remember uh, distinctly feeling, she, oh my gosh, she's got a brain tumor, mm. and um, and uh, and I just knew it. And I I went to one of my friends and said, I don't want this gift. I do not want this gift. Yeah. And uh, and as it turned out, that's what that's what she had. And so I had a early on a brush with with the spirit, and then. Um, th- that that voice that I heard when I was seven um, gave me an arrogance that was not good mm. and really screwed me up. Mm. That's how you took it. That's how you. That's how you think you internalized it as an as an arrogance. Mm. No, I, I. Well, I took it as a. Um, I mean, between that and then, you know, I got into radio when I was 13. Yeah. And so when you're 13 and 14 years old and you're in, you know, Seattle market with some of the better people in the industry. Yeah. 
And they say, my gosh, listen to this kid in front of you. Have mm -hmm. you heard this kid? I mean, when he's 25, what is he going to be like? You start buying it. And so I just had this arrogance that um, uh, I just I knew I was going to make an impact. And by the time I was 30, I was so screwed up um, yeah, that I was, you know, ready to repeat the mistakes of, of my mother's life. Hmm. Did you, um, you have a big intelligence and a huge curiosity. Did, I mean, you didn't go to college. Did you, did you think about going to college? Is that not a possibility for you? No, it was, there was nobody in my family that ever went to college. Um, and, uh, and we couldn't afford it. And it was not, I remember being in, I don't remember, Algebra 1, um, and the first week in algebra when I was, I don't know, ninth grade. And I remember raising my hand and I said, what am I ever going to use this for? <laughs> and uh, the professor said, all kinds of stuff. And, and I said, uh -huh. all I know is that I need to know that, uh, f you know, 14 minutes before 8 is... 46 minutes after the hour. That's all, I'll, everything right. I do will be divisible right. by 60. So you're I don't need any clock. of this. You're on the I'm radio already clock. On the, yeah. I'm already on the clock. So yeah. I didn't have the, um, the, the curiosity that I should have had because I also wasn't doing serious radio. I was doing top 40 radio. And mm -hmm. I mean, have you listened to that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I did. And, I listened uh, to it growing up. I mean, I grew up yeah. in Oklahoma. And I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's what radio was too. I mean, there, it was, there's, there's, it's more, it was, there wasn't, there was, there was no, there was, you know, PBS was, you mm -hmm. know, or NPR was not mm -hmm. something that anybody that I no. knew listened no. to. Uh, and it was all top 40 radio. And so yeah. I didn't I didn't need that until 30. And, you know, mm -hmm. at 30, I decided to go back to college. Mm. You so you you did kind of fast forward a minute ago. I mean, you you um, as you said, there was there was addiction, alcohol um, in your family. And you have. Um, went into that. Um, you were very successful um, in radio. You've also said that you, I mean, you said that you were suicidal by the 90s. Um, you know, you've said, I was a bad man. I was a deplorable human being. Did you get into recovery then in the in the late 90s? Is that? No. no? Oh, yeah, the late 90s, yeah. yes. Um, the first mm -hmm. time I battled depression was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I have such um, empathy for people who are battling with depression. If you've never really battled with um, chemical depression, you just don't understand. It's, it's um, the world turns inside out. What, what is black turns white. What is reasonable um, to you is completely unreasonable to everybody else. And you get to this place yeah. to where you, you're like, I, you know, the world is a much better place. And there are a lot of people that probably still would believe this, but the world would be a much better place without me in it. Yeah. And you start to believe that. Yeah. Um, you know, one, uh, we're, as we're, we're going to discuss this, um, that you, you have gone through I, I, that that language used a minute ago. Pivot point. Your life is full of those. It's, that's a, that's language you use, and um, and I think you know when I look at your story and at you, I, there's there are a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of change. There's a lot of momentum. There's 
there's a fair amount of conversion as as part of your experience. Um, and to me, that's you know one of the things when I when I've talked to people about the fact that I was going to interview you and mm. and you know when I read some of these articles that have been written, where's this this skeptical edge? Well, now he's saying something different, but will he stay this way? Like when I look at your story, the sweep of it, you've never stayed the same way, right? You've always no. right that you've always life, kept growing. Life up. is about change. Yeah. And and so so it seems to me so you did go through this very dark period and you um you got into recovery. I mean it seems to me that was a big pivot point for you and it was kind of around the turn of the century, is that right? Yeah, it was in the uh, the mid 90s. I I remember mm-hmm. I turned 30 and I remember looking at the clock on my bedstand and it was turning midnight in the old the old LED clock that the numbers would almost jump as you watched them. Mm. And uh, and I watched it say 11.59, 11.59, and then it switched to 12. And I, I remember thinking, your whole life is going to change. And uh, I knew that it was, that what I had built was just unsustainable. It was just, uh, you know, lie to myself on top of lie to myself. And um, uh, so I started seeking answers and I um, had a pretty profound pivot point. Um, I was reading uh, I was reading Carl Sagan's book um, Demon Haunted World mm. and I remember about halfway through I, I actually threw the book across the room and it, it, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a, a, a Catholic or anything I was raised Catholic but I wasn't a Catholic or anything and I was so put off and so angry about what he was saying about Catholics. And I actually just kind of, you know, threw it, threw it on the bed and it kind of slipped off the edge of the bed. And I, I thought to myself, wow, where did that come from? Mm. I mean, I'm not even, why, where is that? And um, I, uh, I read a letter uh, right after that from Thomas Jefferson to Peter Carr. And, uh, and it was about how um, Peter should learn, you know, this about mathematics, and he should read these classics, and uh, when languages, he should learn these things. And and then it got to religion, and the last part it said, uh, above all things, when it comes to religion, fix reason firmly in her seat, and question with boldness even the very existence of God, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. Mm. And that changed my life and still today is the most important thing uh, to me because I, I was going through recovery through the 12-step program and I was examining myself and I was really trying to, but there were things in my life that I, I wouldn't go. I just wouldn't look at like my mother's suicide and everything else. I just, I just, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask those questions, and um, it was somewhere around that time, and within a couple of weeks, that I had a dream that, uh, to me, was more than a dream. I was, I, I was standing in a, in a cornfield that everything was was broken, all the stalks were broken, and it was just gray, a sepia tone. Uh, color everywhere and there was snow on the stalks but it was all dirty snow and 
and it was flat, and there was nothing but gray sky and gray sepia tone fields for as far as I could see. And uh, I turn around and I make a 360, and there's this. I'm standing on a road in the middle of this cart, cornfield, and I turn around and make a 360, and behind me is this this storm, this black vortex that's just undulating and growling. And uh, I think, whoa, you know, not going that way. And turn back around, and I'm just scanning, like, where am I going to go? And I hear a voice behind me, and uh, it said, uh, where, are you, where are you headed? And I said, I don't know, but I'm not, I know I'm not going that way. And the voice said, why not? There's, there's nothing to that, and that's where you have to go. Hmm. And I turned around, and there was this old man standing in the cornfield, and his his whiskers were were yellow, nicotine stained, and, <laughs> and he just looked dingy and awful. And and uh, he said, "There's nothing to it." And I said, "That will kill me." And he said, "There's nothing to it. Come here." Mm-hmm. And he grabbed my hand, and the next thing I knew, we were kind of hovering on the other side of the storm and the road was coming out of that black storm and everything was green and the only way I could describe it is it, the t- color was technicolor. The blue was the most v- vivid blue and the green was the most vivid green. And I, I, I said, it's so warm here. And he said, this is what's on the other side of the storm. You just have to walk through it. Mm. And I said, again, it's so warm here. And as I said that, I turned to look at him, and I saw just for a fraction of a second, he was, I only saw a bit of his clothing, which had become white, and a bit of his beard, which no longer looked like nicotine. It, 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 looked, like, it looked like it was fiber optic. He looked like he was made of light. And then I woke up, and I got up in the middle of the night thinking that I might someday forget that dream, and I painted the storm. I still have that painting in one of my closets at home, but I painted the storm so I would never forget it. And that was really the pivot point on the journey that made me begin to question everything. Every, and so what changed? What, how, did, what, what, how did you move forward from that differently? I, I decided that I didn't really know anything. I, 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 I don't know. There was... Um, uh, a humility that that happened. I, I had been praying for God to humble me, and boy, don't ever pray for that because that one. There's like a big bell on the other side that rings, and somebody and, and God's like, somebody's praying for humility. Quick, dispatch somebody. <laughs> um, and so I was really humbled at that time, uh, and it and it wasn't frightening for some reason anymore to admit that I didn't know anything. And I think part of that is because uh, I had become in a different way self-destructive. I, I, I didn't want to do radio anymore because it was just shallow and empty. And, uh, you know, just being a morning show DJ was just awful. And, um, and uh, so I, I got on the air and somebody had said something, well, you don't know anything. And, uh, you know, you're Mr. Perfect because my... My image at the time was Mr. Clean. Hmm. And uh, I said, you know, you don't really know anything about me because I've never let you in. But let me tell you who I am and why I know. And I laid it all out 
and I, I said to my producer, as I turned off the mics, mark this day down on your calendar. This is the day that Glenn Beck ended his career. And um, that producer is still my executive producer, still with me. <laughs> what what year it, was that? It was and what, 95, 96. And that was on the air? You did that on the air? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I found that what happened to me was um, I, I, the most unexpected thing happened. People would stop me and write to me in times when we still got letters and say, you know, you know when you said what you said, I can relate. Nobody knows this about me, but I'm carrying something. And I realized, oh, my gosh, we are all hiding from something. We all have something that we think we're a fraud on or if people only knew or something that I'm carrying around. I don't know what it is, but we all have it. And if we would just be honest with each other and just say, yeah, this is who I am, all of a sudden it loses all of its power. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is ironic, as you say, because it was after that point that you became this huge public figure, right? Um, I mean, I, then, I then there was, was really a persona, uh, <laughs> the Glenn yeah, Beck the, persona. Sorry, go on. Well, there was, there was you know, that's 10 years later, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I actually think that I was, um, uh, you know, in 96, I, you know, I, I was still... Uh, I was rough. If you listen to my shows in even 2000, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm LDS, so I'm a member of Mormon faith. And, and when, you're, when you as a man are, are brought into what's called the priesthood, and every man is a priest yeah, in, yeah. In, my, in my faith, um, you know, the, the congregation votes on it. In fact, the whole what's called a stake, the whole, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call it in uh, the whole diocese votes on it and i'm one of the only people that people raised their hand and went no i don't think that's a good idea okay um, and you and you came we'll we'll talk about this but you came to yeah. to mormonism to the to the lds church um fairly later in life it wasn't you weren't born into that no 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 yeah. 1999 yeah. 1999 I, after this so after this period yeah so I went, you know, in, in mm-hmm. 96, I was just starting to, I put, took everything out and I said, okay, I, I don't, I don't know anything. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to profess that I know anything because I don't, including God. Question with boldness, even the very existence of God. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm an agnostic because I only know God because people have told me that God exists. And I feel like I've had these experiences, but, you know, maybe that's just garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just some, you know, kid thing that you remember and, and, and didn't really happen or you're remembering it differently. And um, so I, I went because I couldn't afford college. I, I, went to a, um, I went to the Barnes & Noble and I assembled what I, what I like to call the library of a serial, serial killer. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, I went in with the intention of who would argue with each other in philosophy? Who would argue with each other in religion? Who would argue with each other on whatever it is? And um, and so, you know, I was putting a library together with, uh, you know, uh, you know, Mein Kampf and Alan Dershowitz and, uh, you know, I mean, crazy. And my philosophy was, if you can go to the um, extremes, and you can go to people that, that have, should have nothing in common. If you find any point of, of connection, then there's truth in that. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's led me to things like um, uh, that that I think is very true. Uh, horrible to say out loud, but that's what I do for a living. Um, Jesus and Hitler had one thing in common, and that is they could both look somebody in the eye who was hungry or in despair mm-hmm. and say, I will feed you. And it's mm-hmm. important to listen to what their solution is. But most people don't. And one will lead you to an evil path and one will lead you to a good path. But it is exactly the same entry point. <laughs> and we get to um, <laughs> Glenn Beck. Are you regretting, you regretting this yet? <laughs> no, no. But I just, you know, I'm just, there's so much to talk about. But so, I mean, let's, so let's fast forward. And go from there, go backwards and forwards from here. 2014, you've said versions of this to other people, but I I just especially really liked just this short clip of you with Megyn Kelly in 2014, and she was asking you about your time at Fox, and you said, and I think you really surprised her, um, I, I played a role, unfortunately, in helping tear the country apart. Um, and so, you know, between, you know, this 1996-1999, your pivot point of personal pivot point in 2014, you, you went to CNN. You, you started the Glenn Beck Show in 2000. You got syndicated. You went to CNN. You went to Fox. You had 6.5 million listeners behind Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Dave Ramsey by 2008. Um and you were not. I mean, it's interesting to hear you describe like bringing the Jesus and Hitler together. Because I would, I would, I wouldn't say that what people would name about what you brought was. Well, I would say bringing the extremes in, but not necessarily seeing you bringing them together. Talk about what you start, what you were, what you were seeing in your career in 2014. Um, yeah, well, just, uh, just can, I go, can I go back? Yes. Can I go back? Because this go is back really anywhere. This is this yeah. is important. Yeah. Um, um, to understand, um, I didn't want to go to Fox News. I turned them down three times. Mm. Um, I didn't want to go to Headline News. In fact, I remember the head of Headline News and CNN was sitting in a big boardroom, and they offered me, uh, you know, a job. And I said no. I only took the meeting because my agent said it would be good practice. Mm. And uh, I said, no. And they said, why? And I said, have you watched cable news? It's awful. (laughs) And uh, they said, uh, well, what would you do if you wanted to do it differently? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, why don't you come up with that? And so we did. And I came up with something fairly different um, on headline news. And it was very much like what I was doing at Fox, just on a much smaller scale. And um, and so when I started at CNN, for the first two years, first year was horrible. The second year was not so horrible, but still in the horrible category. Um, and and I was voted the Christmas that I went to Fox. I'll never forget that. I think it's AP or somebody that does that poll every year. Right, the most res- right, yeah. right. And I, I got, I was, we were on vacation and somebody texted that to me and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Is this me. where you were between Nelson Mandela and the Pope? And the Pope. That okay, that's how screwed up America you is. More than the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, and we laughed about it and we're like, that's crazy. That's crazy. 
Then it was right in that time that uh, Fox had been talking to me about six months. And, uh, and I kept saying no. And Roger Ailes called me to his, uh, his boardroom, uh, to uh, what's his name, uh, Murdoch's boardroom, mm-hmm. and uh, put on a dog and pony show. And it was, uh, it was a Thursday afternoon. And he sat there with all of the executives and he said, so... What is it about the money that I know is about double what you're making now and our number one status that just doesn't seem to impress you? And I said, it's none of that, Roger. I said, I, I, uh, I don't think you know who I am and you're a collector of people and um, I don't care to be kept in anybody's curio cabinet. And, um, and we talked about it and uh, I said, I'm... I'm really not interested in doing cable news. I know I'm doing it now, but I actually want to do other things. I don't like the news. And he said, uh, okay, well, um, well, we'll offer more money. I said, don't. Uh, it's not about money. And I said, I want to go home and talk to my family. I, you know, I want control of the show. And uh, he said, okay. So I went home and talked to my family, and we talked that weekend. And um, the only reason why I took it is because I believed the country was in real trouble. I had just spent three years saying there is a financial crash coming beyond description. Uh, and uh, this is happening now. I'm talking to Fox at the same time right. that the financial crisis is finally yeah. there. And I, so I was convinced that the country is in real trouble. I still am. Uh, it's just more resilient than I thought it was. Hmm. And um, and so I thought, oh, you know what? I'll sign a short two-year deal, and I will, I'm going to find a way to get people to listen uh, to the warning. And it's the same warning, just a different president. It's the same one. I was saying these same things about George W. Bush, you know, for the most part, um, and warning people that this is where we were headed. And uh, And I got on, and I... I had no idea, A, the power of Fox, B, the, um, the danger of doing 60 minutes live, unscripted, every single day. Kind of wild. Plus you a three radio wild. show. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and doing it in a way that I thought would get people to watch, which it did. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm mixing mediums, which was dangerous, but I thought, oh, everybody will get it. Um, and then there was this mass pushback, um, and it wasn't good, and it just kind of uh, pushed the wrong buttons in me, and I'm like, really? Um, and I honestly thought uh, that... Okay, I'm going to present this in a way that people will be able to watch and understand. And then somebody in the media will pick this up and go, wait a minute, there is, I don't believe Glenn Beck, but there is something here. There is this connection that he showed. And we looked it up and it's true. Hmm. That never happened. Hmm. And so what, what happened was I took half the country and basically flipped them the bird. That wasn't smart. One of the things you also you said to Megyn Kelly that I just want to ask you to say more about is I didn't realize how really fragile people were. What 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 what, what do you point? Do you remember? There? Do you remember on nine eleven um, when that happened? And the next day we got up and we thought, Oh my 
gosh, this thing could be over. Hmm. Um, and we didn't realize how fragile the nation was. I really didn't know a couple of things. I, I didn't, I really didn't see um, the things that I think a lot of people are still doing, but now on the left, they don't understand the power of language um, and the power of jokes and how they go deep, especially when there are politics involved and they use it to divide. The other side will use it to divide. And um, and I didn't realize that, I mean, I always really thought that we would understand each other and we would come back to common sense. And instead, both parties, both sides, I think, have just jumped off the deep end. And, and what role did I play in that? I don't know, probably a big one. I was a big voice at the time. Mm-hmm. If it wouldn't have been me, it probably would have been somebody else. I'm, I'm trying to make amends and do it the other way now. But there's plenty of voices out there that are replacing me on both sides. You know, you know, one thing that as I as I look at <clears throat> at you and your career is, um, you know, you're talking about the real soul searching you've been doing about being a force in kind of all this human drama that got us here, which is, you know, what I think we're seeing as a human drama, and the politics is the <laughs> symptom of that. But I, but you, you also are are kind of a mirror of that, and you, you've had your pulse on part of it that that has emerged. So, you know, for example, um, um, you know, something somebody said to me this year that I, I, I thought, I feel like we there's so so many things we haven't paid enough attention to, but that. Um, mm. You know, that, that it does happen in American politics at various moments that we get a president who has mastered the medium of the moment, like um, oh, FDR yeah. mastered radio and John yes. Kennedy mastered television. And I, I, think when, I think when people say that, especially maybe when liberals say that about Donald Trump, they're thinking about Twitter. But actually, I think we've not paid nearly enough attention to the fact that he was a, a reality TV star. Oh my gosh! Right, yes. and but so but and and that's so. What I also see you, you know, you have been part of this rise of you know entertainment news. Um, Can I tell you? I think, yeah. um, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. I think what we're looking at is, and I'm a reflection of this too, um, because I remember when I worked at WPGC in Washington D.C., and I remember I said the word crap on the air. It's 1981, I think, and 1982, and I get a full-page memo from the program director. I wish I had it today. I don't know who you think you are using that kind of language. I don't know where you think you are, but this is the nation's capital, blah, blah, blah. It was the word crap. And um, and it it came because because Howard Stern had just started, and he just had left Washington, D.C., I think what you're looking at now is the first Howard Stern presidency. Howard, I have a lot of respect for, um, but he, Donald Trump, grew up on that. I mean, he has been a part of New York and Howard Stern for the last 20 years. And so it is this kind of, this show, this loose language, this, ah, we're just hanging out in a guy's locker room. And in some ways, I'm a product of that because I came out of radio at that very time that was was battling that and trying to balance that. Um, and I think that's what I think that's what we're seeing 
It's mm. not just um, uh, reality television. This is a Howard Stern presidency. Right, right. Reality television is one manifestation of sort of what yeah. happened to media. You know, um, you have also said, um, you said it in the Can 2000- we quote somebody else? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. We're talking about okay. you. I understand that this is not the side of the microphone you're happiest on. <laughs> yeah, let's quote somebody else. No, I hate that guy. I'm in control uh, right? here, as you also understand. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, uh, you, you've, you, you've said a lot. And it's, here's another way that I feel like, I, I feel like you are, can help take other people inside something they may not understand. You've said, I did a lot of freaking out about Barack Obama. And that was, you know, and you've been criticized for calling him, I mean, well, we won't even go through all that. You, you, no, you, I mean, you I know, understand yeah, what I've Calling said. him racist, blah, blah, blah. I don't, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to dissect that. That's been dissected. But, but when you say that, and I think you, you, again, you are, you know, your audiences, people who you have been listening to, attending to, um, also have been freaking out about, had been, were freaking out about Barack Obama. And a lot of people don't understand that. And, and just well, and you, I, yeah, well, say ju- something about that, about what yeah, that is. Let me, let me just say this. This is why I have, and I've been begging the people on the right. How can you not have empathy for the people right now who are saying, Donald Trump is going to destroy America. We are going to be in, we're going to, he's going to have concentration camps. You were thinking that about Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. How can you not understand that somebody sees this guy who is much more vocal and has many more tendencies than the last guy? How can you call them crazy? You know, there are people I'm, I'm finding it fascinating that at this moment where we could have profound understanding for one another and we can say, I know, I know, I know how you're feeling and don't make the mistake that I made. Don't do the things that we did. Well, nobody could be bad as you. Stop it. Hmm. Stop hmm. it. Hmm. Let's take this moment at time and say, let's learn from the past. Let's not overreact and freak out. And believe me, I'm one of the, I mean, you've heard me over the last, what, 18 months about Donald Trump. I'm warning of grave danger. This guy, this guy could go totalitarian on us. Mm. He could very well do that. He also may very well leave the Oval Office as a decent president. I don't know. I can't see the future. What we should be talking about is not uh, not people, not even events, but ideas. And the idea is no one person should ever make the American public, left, right, or all of us, this afraid. The, the, what is, this is a warning that the Constitution is out of balance. The president shouldn't have so much power that we all say he could round us up. And I mean, so so this is another pivot point for you. I sense that you and and you know, Glenn, that you fear has been a big piece of your vocabulary, and you're you're you you are you proudly uh, called yourself a catastrophist, and 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 you also understand the science of fear. You've 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 written about this. You know how our brains are are you know we're hardwired to respond to this. But it seems to me, bo- the, sorry, the pivot point is that you. When you started to see this fear 
and catastrophizing on the other side. This has kind of been a, an awakening for you also. Can I, can I share? Yeah, yeah, you can share anything. I know. And I, I, um, I trust you, and because I trust you, I trust your audience that maybe somebody will hear of this, but others will call me crazy and maybe many in the audience, but it's just my experience. Mm -hmm. You don't have to believe it. You don't, whatever. It's just my experience. I am not smart enough to, A, pull off this incredible business, you know, uh, feat that I have pulled off. I was not really successful for most of my life. All of a sudden, my my success goes through the roof and I'm, I'm, I'm at the pinnacle of everything. That's not me. Um, I, I really, truly believe that I was... Um, and please hear me out on this, that all of us have a place in time that we are supposed to do what we are supposed to do, that we all play a role, that we're all here together, and God speaks to all of us. Nobody's more special than other. Nobody has special powers. No, nothing like that. He speaks to all of us. And I really, truly believe that um, I was... I was prompted to see the things. I don't know anything about the financial market. And, you know, in 2006 or seven, I had a guy who was uh, a Columbia University professor of economics. And he came up to me at a, at a cocktail party and he said, uh, tell me about your education in economics. And I thought, <laughs> OK, here we go. Yeah. And I said, I don't have any. In fact, I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any college. He said, you never went to college. I said, I went one semester. And he said, I knew it. And I thought, okay. And he and I said, what's that? And he said, I cannot get my students to think like you. He said, you think out of the box because you haven't been trained to think a certain way. You allow yourself to think the unthinkable. And I and so we started talking about economics. And I said, it doesn't make sense. And he said, it's because we've all been trained to look at all the safety measures. So I felt honestly compelled to, to talk about the warnings. Now, the problem is, and where I've learned is, when I feel these things that are, that are headed our way, I feel it in a flat wall like it's happening right now. I've learned to relax. It's, it's not right now. It's not Barack Obama. It may not be Donald Trump. It is coming if we don't change our ways. And, and that's the warning that I've, I've tried to um, uh, uh, bring. But uh, unfortunately, I did it in the wrong way, and I saw it as panic right now. That, that was mm. immature. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, I'm also a big fan of Gavin De Becker. Um, Gavin De Becker is uh, uh, an amazing protector and one runs one of the best um, protection companies for you know um, uh, uh, you know public figures. And he wrote a great book that I saw on Oprah about 20 years ago. And yes, I used to watch Oprah. And uh, it was uh, it was called The Gift of Fear. And in a nutshell, 
what it says is, ever notice that whenever they're, they're talking to neighbors of a serial killer, the neighbors were like, you know what? <laughs> I always thought he was a nice guy, but mm. you know my dog, Peppy, every time he came around, <laughs> he'd start barking. It's like he knew. And the book says, you know what? There is a gift of fear and then a gift of intelligence. And it is the, it's the job of each individual to not be a dog and just embrace the fear, but also not to let your intelligence go to when you say, you know what, my gut says something's wrong here, to not dismiss that. Couple the two together, and that's where you'll find the balance. And, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that you are longing to get out of and away from, I mean, that you wrote in the New York Times about respecting the views of others, empathizing with others. And you said I've off, but you, you said I've, I've tried to work toward this goal, even though I've often been guilty of conflating the individual with the whole and I, you know, there is a lot in your in your writing and your work um, about groups, right? I mean, the book you wrote in 2016 about progressives and just these sweeping statements about groups of people. At the same time... Hang on just a second. Yeah. Because I want to make sure you're really careful here. Okay. Did you read the book? Yeah. Okay. So it's about early 20th century American progressives, not just any progressive, but the ones who really understand what progressivism at its core, at its founding, really is. The difference between, uh, you know, a cattle and a rancher, yeah. that a real early 20th century American progressive says, we know better than the average guy, and so we'll make the decisions. I don't think that's the average progressive. I don't think that's what they are. I don't think they understand what an early 20th century progressive is. And so this was really mm -hmm. a history book to be able to say, this is that seed. And it's in both the Republican and the Democratic parties. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. And it is. I know it is a history book. That's also one of the things I'm looking at. I'm thinking, this guy didn't go to college. <laughs> you would have, uh, apart from anything else, had a lot of fun studying history. Um, but you've kind of educated yourself and you and yes. you, you knew right history. Um, but I and I, I hear you and I and I believe you. And but I also think there are these sweeping statements um, that 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 don't contain that subtlety, you know, like. You yeah. know, this book will present a clear, concise, and documented picture of progressives as they really are, eugenicists, racists, misogynists, terrorists, and author authoritarian tyrants. And it's it doesn't, you know, it doesn't qualify. And I just think, and I don't think you disagree with this, that this is one of the things that's gone terribly wrong on both sides, that we throw these, these huge the isms and these labels at each other. The problem is, um, I mean, you, you read the book, and so you do know that I... I, I do make the point that it's not you can't sweep up everybody. Mm -hmm. And that, the to, that it comes down to the individual claiming their right. life. I mean, and their right. Life. And it, it's for instance, let's let's reverse this. I don't know anymore what it means to be a Christian. If it means that I dismiss somebody who says I'm going to grab them by the because they'll let me and I'm a celebrity and and has the record that Donald Trump does, clearly the man has, I mean, he says he's never asked for forgiveness. Are you kidding me? So that, I mean, that is the main tenant of Christianity. 
if Christianity means because I'm against abortion, I should do everything in my power to support this man, I don't know what Christianity is. Um, if, if, that's, if conservatism means that uh, I have to uh, back a trillion-dollar spending bill and also be, you know, support um, um, executive order after executive order, I don't know what a conservative is. But mm-hmm. the label of conservative is thrown now on people who support Donald Trump. Christians support Donald Trump. I don't think you can make that sweeping argument. Well, right. And I I mean, I would say that sweeping idea is out there, and it's not true, because you and I know plenty of Christians and conservatives who right. have a lot of complexity to them. So so the problem, the problem is, is when we're trying to make, you know, we, we can't qualify every sentence. Um, and, you know, I, I did a calculation uh, once because uh, uh, I lost my I lost my voice. My vocal cords went paralyzed. And, and you should look this up on YouTube. And I, I went to the doctor and the doctor said, your vocal cords are paralyzed. I was up in New York. And uh, they said, you know, they could come back. They might not. And uh, and I'm like, oh. Okay, <laughs> except I didn't say that. Uh, and I came back to work and uh, I was thinking about, gosh, what, what, what was the last monologue I did? What, what, I mean, what, what have I, wait, if I can't say anything anymore, hmm. what, a, what a waste of words. And I, I, uh, I counted, uh, what was it, 10 million words in the last X number of years <laughs> that I have uttered. You can't utter 10 million words publicly and not uh, screw up. You're going to screw up. You're going to say things that you said poorly, you were wrong about, you regret, or were misconstrued, or, you know, it's just going to happen. We have to, we have to start believing the best in each other and ex- mm. instead of expecting the worst. And, and you know... And and yeah, go on. and I'm I'm guilty. I I hate to say that because I can't imagine how many people in your audience just rolled their eyes and went, "You've got to be <laughs> coming from Glenn Beck." Right. So I get that. I get that. I am not the me- I am I'm the worst messenger since Paul. I get that. <laughs> so uh, you know, I I, I I don't mean to be the one. Just please take it. Pretend I'm somebody you like, and well, re-listen to that. Well. Here's something else that's been on my mind with you and a lot of people. And this is another thing I feel like we have to reckon with collectively. We don't let people apologize, repent, and change. Because most people don't mean it. Here's what most public people don't mean it. Most public people mean, I got caught. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, you know, our administration, mistakes were made. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking about the mistakes you made. Mm-hmm. But in life, right? In life, none of us would take anybody seriously in our lives who hadn't changed, who hadn't changed their minds, right? I mean, that is the stuff of integrity. Um, and somehow, and maybe it's yeah. not, it, we, you know, we can't measure this in terms of what's coming out of the White House or Congress, um, but somehow in our public life, um, if we if we want to get beyond this division, this name calling, then we also have to so, honor people who step out and say, 
I have changed, which is not going to. So, go on, go on. So let me give you let me give you an mm-hmm. example of of because I think you're exactly right, and it's why pivot points are so important to me. Mitt Romney was running in two thousand what eight, um, uh, the first time, and uh, suddenly he was pro life. <laughs> Romney's not pro life. What? What? Mm-hmm. And he was flip flopping on a few things, and so. He was in the green room without the microphone, without the speaker on, and I said, he's going to come in in a second, and I'm going to ask him about abortion. If the man cannot tell me what the color of the wallpaper was on the wall, if he cannot clearly define when he had a change of heart, he's lying to you. Mm -hmm. But if he does, he's had a serious pivot point because nothing in my life, no big change has ever come without me remembering that moment and saying, uh, no, I, I'll tell you what happened. And so Mitt came in and uh, I said, so tell me, you know, you you, you used to be pro-choice um, and now you're pro-life. And a lot of people would say that was convenient. When, when did that happen? He said, I'll tell you when that happened. He said, I went to Harvard and I was called for this, you know, this, uh, you know, study. And I went in and they were making this presentation. And he said, I looked at all of it. And he said, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's that's actually that's not true. And he I mean, he could. It was 10 years in the past. And he could tell me the moment that changed his mind. We have to stop. Um. Uh, and give people a chance if they can tell you their pivot point. Mm. What made you change? Donald Trump, it was the most frustrating thing to hear him say, well, I used to believe that, but no, I, no I've you know, changed. Yeah, I've been right. blah, blah, blah. What, what happened to you? That, that was mm-hmm. a huge change. You know, what happened to you? And you might not, you might not agree with this example, but I, I think another example of this is uh, this spectacle that we don't let people change is is Hillary Clinton always being called out by liberals on you know 20 years ago having a having a position on gay marriage and saying you know I, like I a lot of people you. in this country I see this differently now I I can uh, I can agree with you <laughs> and that the, was the, never it, she just couldn't outlive it but it was what she said was true I mean you've had a you've had a change on this on 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 this issue of gay marriage I believe right? no I've actually I'm 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 a constitutionalist mm-hmm. um, and so I don't think it's my place or any church's place mm-hmm. to tell you um, who you can marry. I think it's offensive. Mm-hmm. I get no value. I, I think marriage, well, I know marriage licenses were originally given to stop white people from marrying black people or black people from marrying white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the blood test was ended or started with eugenics. They were trying to weed out the undesirables. There's no reason the federal government has any place or any government has any place on telling me or you who to marry. That is between you and your God or you and a tree or you and the other person. That's you. That's not me. That's mm-hmm. certainly not the government. And I've always believed that. I was, I was actually pro-gay marriage long before all the liberals were, but yet I was painted as this, this bigot for some reason. Well, well, you know, we do tend to lump a lot of issues together, right, on both sides. Yeah. Um, we we tend to think but one person, if you believe that, then you must believe Then you believe, believe all this. these other things, yeah. And right. I, I think that and goes on on both sides. 
I don't think anybody's really like that. I don't want to be around those people. Well, again, that right, in life. You're, in life, you're not is even, anybody really like that? Yeah. Yeah, you're not a thinking person. But you know mm-hmm. what? I think that comes a lot of it from the media. Because when I said to CNN, have you watched cable news? What I meant was... I can tell you exactly what the person in the left box is going to say to the person in the right box. And I know exactly what the person in the right box is going to say back. It's it's a it's a puppet show. And there is nothing good to be gained out of this puppet show. And uh, there's no intellectual honesty. There's no question with boldness, the very existence of God, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questions over blindfolded fear. Who's asking an honest question? Quite honestly, it's why I'm on your show. (laughs) Because you do. Mm. You do. How would you, how would you describe, now, you know, how would you describe how you what you do differently now, editorial, you editorially, you know, you you are you are still the same person. Yes. Um, you know, I do think I would I would say I would use the word repenting. I think you have you have done some public repenting, um, but you still have very strong political convictions, which are not, you know, which everybody is not going to agree with. And some people will disagree sure. with violently, violently. Um, but can't we hopefully not violently, but can't we? Yeah. I want to get back to a place where, where I mean, how is it that who we voted for is all we are? I have so much in common with, I mean, Samantha B is the best example. I watch Samantha B, and I watch her exactly as the way she probably used to watch me. I watch her <laughs> with my hand over my mouth going... Sam, don't you know what this is doing to half the country? Half the country is going to hate you for this. What are you saying? She doesn't hear it the same way I do, which is we've changed roles. And so um, but we've gotten to know each other. Mm -hmm. I sincerely like her. She's really nice. I really like her. We have so much in common. Just not that. It's a, I I I really you you went on her show and it's a very very funny um, you you were there both as as this soul searching person you are with me but also as a performer um, yeah. as a comedian really um, I mean one of the things she said is in case you haven't heard Glenn Beck is acting really weird this was her introduction and and she <laughs> said to you my audience wants to kill me for normalizing a lunatic like yourself. Um, she said, she said to you, for people in my world, even if all you said for the rest of your life were reasonable things, I feel like you've still earned a permanent side eye from them. And you, you kind of took that. I can understand it. Mm-hmm. I, I can understand it. And I, I hope that one day um, somebody on the left can also come out uh, and those also on the right, too. I don't mean to single out just the left, but somebody like Sam can come on my show and I can say to her, you know, the things you've said, my audience will always have a side eye to you. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that she would say, uh, you know, I understand that. And I, I kind of deserve that. And uh, I get it. But then at that point, you know, what do you do about it? And it's... I really feel bad uh, for for people in her position because 
you know, I luckily had made a pact for two years and I was going to do Fox for two years and ring that bell and get out. And even Roger Ailes didn't believe me. I mean, when, when Roger Ailes and I first met, he said, you know, you remind me of somebody in TV. I haven't seen a performer like you since Jack Parr. And I thought that was a really nice compliment. And Roger didn't believe that I was leaving. Um, one day he, we were sitting on his couch and he said, uh, you're not leaving. Nobody leaves here. Like it's Hotel California. And I said, uh, no, I, I am. And he said, no one leaves. And I said, one person did. And he said, who's that? And I said, Jack Parr. Hmm. And that's when he realized, oh, man, this guy really is. I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't want any of that, but I did want to do my job. I did. I mean, this is what I do for a living. So now how do you balance, you know, comedy at this point in American history? Sam's having to deal with that now. Mm -hmm. And I feel for her because I know we haven't talked about this, but I... I would imagine that as she's writing those jokes, she knows in her mind she's right and it's funny and her audience is going to like it. But there are times that somebody like me that she respects, I think a little bit, maybe tiny bit, um, mm. will be watching and it will bother her because she'll be like, ah, I know Glenn wouldn't like that, but you know what? I'm just doing my job. This is what I do. She is going through, and I, I hope every thinking person with a microphone or a camera is thinking about every word they say and trying to figure out how do I bring my audience to a, a better place. And it's not reasonable to ask people just, well, then throw away your career and just stop doing that. Mm -hmm. you, that's not reasonable. I have I have 300 employees that count on me getting up every single day. That's not reasonable. Now, how do I change? How do I make this work so I don't flush the jobs of 300 people? Yeah. I mean, let me so let me ask you about a um a specific way that I th I think you've had a change of heart, you had a pivot point and this would be this is interesting to me after the shooting of the five police officers in Dallas. Um, you started to shift your thinking about Black Lives Matter. Is that right? Um, I sh shifted my, I began to do um, what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. My rhetoric had been at this level. Have you read the manifesto at blacklivesmatter.com you know, or org or whatever it is? Have you read the manifesto? Um, no, I haven't read the manifesto. Okay. I have. I've I interviewed have. one of the founders. You should read the manifesto before mm -hmm. you do. But mm -hmm. I read the manifesto. It's the ravings of lunatics. It is America needs to uh, have a separate place for blacks, a two-state system um, um, that uh, not capitalists, uh, but communism uh, and Marxism is. The, I mean, it's. It goes so far beyond what anybody who is thinking about Black Lives Matter and what's really happening on the streets. It's so far beyond that. And nobody I had read the manifesto, so I know why it was formed, what their real goals are. And, they, and I believe that they are using the things that are real to move that agenda forward. 
But when we had the shooting here in Texas... Right. And I mean, and that shooting for a lot of people who were... And this is why it's interesting. Is for a lot of people who were opposed to Black Lives Matter or just disinterested or skeptical took that shooting of police officers in Dallas as further proof of that, right? So what... We why did, are why did in, you have a different experience? <laughs> I'm in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. That's my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texans do not screw around, especially when they come to our police officers. Um, and uh, you're right. A lot of people said, see, yeah. look, my staff was down covering that um, that um, uh, parade or march. And excuse me for calling it a parade, but that march. And... Um, uh, so when the shooting happened, the people who were marching along with my people went behind gar- behind uh, cars and into alleyways, and they were in it together. So they went through that experience together, and they realized in that experience, because they had a time to talk and to be there, and, mm-hmm. and they talked for about an hour or two after, uh, and they realized we're exactly the same. And so I brought those people in that were with my staff. I brought them in. I think there were five of them, uh, ranging in age. And I said, so let's, let's just talk. No, nothing off limits. Let's just talk. And we had a fascinating conversation. And I realized these people don't believe in, uh, you know, overthrowing the country in a two-state solution, and they've tied the Palestinians into it and all. They don't believe in any of that. What they're saying is, our community is in trouble. Our community is in pain. Well, I understand that. I get that. Mm-hmm. And that we can unite on. It, it, what happened is exactly what you were talking about. Black Lives Matter. Okay, I've done my homework. I know what the organization mm. is really about. Mm. Mm. So I know that. Well, that's not necessarily the people. People who voted for Donald Trump, they must just be like him. No, no, you talk to them. A lot of them are exactly the opposite of him. There was something else going on that made them say, I'm with him. Yeah. You know, you in On the Blaze, which is your your. Would you say that's your primary platform now, which you founded and just, yeah, okay. So you were yeah. you in two thousand sixteen. You, you know, at some point said, "I want to apologize for being a catastrophist." Although I still, I think you still claim. Do you you claim that I am a catastrophist? Okay, I, <laughs> okay look, you I, are, okay. and you apologize for it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. Because here's here's <laughs> just real quick one line. Okay, I can't stop the way. I mean, I just I am the guy. You ready? I'm the guy that it, on the Titanic. Halfway through, you are so sick. You're shut up. The ship is fine. And I'm walking around going, there's not enough lifeboats. I'm telling you, I've counted the lifeboats. There's not enough lifeboats. You hate me until the ship goes down. Then, as the ship is going down, I guarantee you, I'm the most positive. I I don't know what it is about me, but in that moment, I flip and I'm like, you're going to make it. Don't worry. Get into this boat. Don't worry. You're going to make it. Come on. Let's all go that way. It's this weird trait that I can't stop, but that's who I am. But, so in that same in that same post, you said, you know, we've got to stop scaring the kids because that's what we're doing. We're scaring the hell out of the children. And, you know, Glenn, I have to say, you're you're because you, I've been following your 
your work, your show, your various shows and your website and your daily email for a, a while. And it's such a mix, right? Because there are these healing stories and these completely these these juxtapositions and these relationships that you have like you just told the story of Black Lives Matter with Riz Patel um, that are so so counter to the you know the Glenn Beck persona the Glenn Beck concept of old um, but but there's but there's also a lot that is scary I mean that 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 catastrophist uh, still comes that, through, and I, yeah, but wait, I'm just sharing. Gift, <laughs> gift of fear, gift of fear. There's nothing wrong with, uh, and and this is when you know people say, well, you you know you sell uh, disaster food. Yeah, you mean the same kind of food that I'm reading about now in for in uh, Variety about how all the Hollywood stars are stocking up with the food and building bomb shelters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I get it, um, but I, to me. That's not that's not um, uh, that's not part of being a catastrophist. What I'm what I'm saying is this trouble is I know how to explain it. I went over to Auschwitz. I mean, you think I scare the kids or you scare the kids. Wait until this. You know, I bring my you get in trouble for your Hitler comparisons. I don't know. Uh, no, no, no there's really no Hitler comparison. Okay. Here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I bring I bring my family over to Auschwitz. We're on our way to Israel. And I say, I'm not bringing my kids to Israel. They won't understand Israel unless they go through Auschwitz. And my wife was like, well, that ends the vacation. Because that's no vacation uh, at all. And so, um, but I thought it was important because I believe that we are entering a time very much like the 1930s and 40s all around the world. And you're seeing the new Stalin. You're seeing the new uh, uh, Mussolini. You're seeing the new Hitlers. You're, You're seeing them in the Middle East. You're seeing them in Russia. You're seeing them in North Korea. Freedom is not on the march. It's going the other way. And I, I really, truly believe that we're headed towards those times. Well, when you head towards a, a, a we kind of uh, swing in the pendulum, uh, that's when things get dicey. And somebody always somewhere says, we're going to round them up. We're going to put them in camps. We're going to do this. And I said to my family, this is the summer that we are going to decide who we are. Hmm. We are going to prepare for a time that, God forbid... It, you will not be able to make the decision at the time that you're up against the wall. You need to make the decision of who you're going to be right now. And so I had them meet with one of the righteous of, among the nations, one of the people. She was 16 when she was saving Jews. And, um, the and Germans, I asked her. The who, Germans who saved Jews. She was Polish that Polish. saved Jews. Okay, right. and, mm-hmm. and she said, um, after she talked to the family for about an hour, um, we were leaving, and I said, Paulina, you know, my job is is this, and I know that the seed of righteousness is in everybody. What can I do to water the seed? And she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, you don't understand. The righteous didn't suddenly become righteous. They just refused to go over the cliff with everybody else. So... What I'm what I'm trying to do is be more of a mile marker in going, you've passed the last exit. You know that, right? You should stop at the nearest safe point and turn the other direction um, because it's going to it, – the things that I said were coming, many of them are happening and we're in the direction of bad stuff. 
prepare yourself now and be strong to stand against it and to be a beacon of light. Do you... I, I was going to ask you how, I mean, you, we mentioned a while ago that you converted to the LDS church. You're a Mormon. Um, it's an important part of your identity and your family. And um, I was going to ask you how your faith and your theology, I, I mean, I think I may just have heard it there, but how does your does your faith give a blessing on this the the catastrophist. Oh my gosh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I've, I know I've done damage to um, really good people of of my faith. They are such good um, people that mind their own business and mm-hmm. want to be left alone and just, you know. And uh, and I've, I've, uh, no. They don't like showboats, and I and. I just feel compelled to to um, warn people of of what I see, and um, uh, and unfortunately, I've I think I've made a lot of Christians look bad, and and a lot of people of faith look bad, and and um, you know I, I I will pay my price for that, hmm. um, but it's not, you know, my, my, the 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 thing that people. That that really the thing that really hurts more than anything, honestly. Um, when I went to Fox that weekend, I met with my family and I said, "You know, I don't want to do this. And if I go there, this is going to change our life because it's so big and it's just gonna it's not going to be good." And you know, I can get out right now. People think that I'm between Nelson Mandela and the Pope, and. Uh, and uh, the family said, you know, I said, I believe these things are coming and I believe I have to warn people, uh, are we all in? And, um, you know, my kids, my older kids voted on it and said yes. And I said, then if I go, you have to do one thing. Everybody in the family has to keep a diary because I know how the world will remember me. And you need to tell the truth to my grandchildren that's not who Grandpa was, um, hmm. because I knew that um, warning people never goes well, and then I really screwed it up on top of it. And so the thing that really hurts is that people, they really don't understand that you can, that there are people with convictions. You may not agree with them, but there are people that do things not for money, not for fame. Um, they, they're they're doing it because they believe it, and you know you might find that more scary, less scary. I, I don't know, but um, I, I I mean, there's no way the Kellogg uh, Kellogg the people the business people they wanted to do a, a study on on my business at one point, mm. and uh, I said, oh wow, that's a real compliment, and my business partner said, no, it's actually not, Glenn. When you hear the reason. They said, there's no reason we're, we're looking at your business and every decision you've made should have worked out the opposite. And that's true. And I said, well, they're going to, I mean, here's the answer. They're not going to like it. I, I do what I feel I'm, I'm prompted to do. I take the stands that I do because I feel that, that I'm supposed to take those stands. Unfortunately, the framing of those stands, those stands, all me. <laughs> That's where it gets screwed up. The presentation <laughs> of that is all Glenn. You know, I mean, one thing that's that's um, 
That's very notable, really across the years, but I think especially these last few years, as you've been out being interviewed, going on in many other kinds of platforms, media platforms, um, you know, Samantha Bee and many, many more, is people often are surprised, journalists are surprised that at, at your who you are and how you are as an individual. I mean, it's kind of a reflection of what you're saying because you're, you don't, yeah, I remember there's some journalist who asked your wife, uh, Tanya, you know, is he loud at home? <laughs> She's, you know, very convincingly, no. <laughs> Does he always get the last word? Of course not, she says. That, you know, people are, people, when they meet you, in contrast to this, this persona, is, you know, that you're very grounded, reasonable, reason, quiet, um, I kind of hear you knowing that about yourself and kind of carrying that complexity. You can't, um, you cannot be hated by as many people that hated me or may still hate me um, and not question yourself. But you also, in today's world, and this is again back to the Howard Stern, you know, presidency, the, the, the old game is over. The way to make an impact that used to work doesn't work anymore. So how does a how does somebody take um, real thought and wrap it into entertainment in a way that you can make you know Hayek or a two day special on Woodrow Wilson number number one record breaking numbers? You can't. You can't do it the old way. And so there's this 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 dichotomy of, you know, the 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 less insightful uh, journalist will say, oh, so there's two Glenn Becks. No, there's one Glenn Beck and then there's the business Glenn Beck or the pres- presenter Glenn Beck mm-hmm. that says, how do I take this and make this digestible. It's one of the problems with the media. Uh, I, I, I remember when I was at CNN and at Fox, I'd say, you guys should be talking about this. Why isn't anybody explaining this to the American people? And it's because they think the American people are stupid. I think the exact opposite. I think the people who are presenting it just aren't creative. They're not, their job is to find a way to make this interesting, to get people to consume it. Well, when you do that, now you're crossing all kinds of wires, and and uh, and and it just gets all fouled up. Mm. Um, you know, I was I was aware all through last year that whoever was going to whoever had won in November the presidency. What was just laid bare are these fractures, the fact that we don't know each other, um, these just chasms among Americans, right, that we don't know our fellow Americans in, in oh, every direction. Like a, you sound like a catastrophist. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but, you know, I mean, I... Right. Right. But so, so... You're worried I, and warning. Yes. And then I'm asking... Also, as somebody in media, a different, a very different kind of arm of the media, and yet 
in in media and seeing the imperfections and how like the old model is just not serving us all around the way things have been always have done but how do you what would you you know just thinking you know i always say fear fear is what anger is what pain and fear look like when they show themselves in public yes um and that's all out on the surface all around um and i'm i'm really aware of the pain and fear beneath that and i think you are too um how are you thinking now about the work not just of telling the truth and even making the truth dramatic enough that people pay attention to the danger but to the work of healing or is that just not your calling no, I think it is. I haven't figured out how to do it exactly yet and make it. Um, for instance, we're, I mean, um, you know, I, I went down to the border, uh, what, two years ago when the border thing was really high. And my audience was so angry with me. Well, you were handing out food, toys, and clothing and food to undocumented immigrants on the border. Yeah. Uh, to the kids. And and my audience was beside themselves for about four weeks. And I kept trying to explain there's a difference between policy and principles. We can agree on policy that, yes, they shouldn't be here. Yes, they should go home. But the principle is they're people and they're here. So now what? You know, we can argue about this in Washington, but we have to help people. We don't we, we have to stand by and see the need in people. Uh, you know, it wasn't it was never reported. Um, and partly because we just don't send out press releases on this stuff because it's not why we do it. And I don't think anybody's going to print it anyway. But I think we sent like almost three million dollars down and 18 or 19 semi trucks full of food. And that money was all raised by my audience that once once you broke down and got past and said, look, don't, don't make this about politics. Let's make this about who are we as people. The next thing that we, we did was um, we, have, we have rescued 6,000 and it's probably more, uh, probably closer to 6,500 or 7,000 refugees in Syria and Iraq. We have moved them out of the area. Um, we have built a, a refugee camp uh, that nobody else would build in Greece because the Yazidis were, were being targeted by the Muslims in the refugee camp. It started all over again in Greece, and so we built a second refugee camp. We have opened the doors to, I think, 11 countries that understood that, look, these people, you can agree, you can disagree, um, whatever. But these people are under attack and are going to be slaughtered. And we have to do more than just say the U.N. will take care of that. Mm -hmm. We have to do it. Um, and mm -hmm. I, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that was that message rang with my audience. Um, and then right now I'm really working on a on a project that I helped start called um, Our Rescue. It's uh, Operation Underground Railroad. Right, working on this global slave trade. <laughs> How do you present that one? Yeah. I can't get anybody. I can't get anybody to look at that. Um, my audience. I can't find a way to make that palpable or, or not even um, safe enough 
for people to watch it so they avoid it like the plague. We can change the world, but I've got to find a way to reach into people's hearts without uh, manipulating anything to get them to say, okay, I'll look at this. Um, and, And my calling now, I think, is to try to find a way back to the heart. Once the heart closes, the Bonhoeffers of the world lose. And do you feel that you've that hearts also get opened by being outraged? Because I'm right. Is that is that also that line you're walking? I mean, I'm not. No, the, I don't think. No, I think outrage, um, fear, or, or the yeah. No, the I, I've actually yeah. let me let me yeah. help on. I read a line from Eleanor Roosevelt last year, and it said, um, "Small minds talk about people; average minds talk about events." Truly great minds talk about ideas. And so I've tried to use that as our, um, as our mantra. We don't always succeed because, again, I've got to, I've got to talk radio audience. Uh, I've got to feed them the news and information they want. I try to do it in a different way. I try to be fair on all sides. But I also only want to feed as much as I have to because I'm trying to find a way to feed more of, of love. Um, I'm going into a, you know, I, I'm trying to do a different job with the same group of people. And, um, and, and I think that outrage is, you're right about anger. It, it, is, it, it, it comes out from a place when you are afraid. Mm-hmm. And if you're afraid, your reason centers shut down. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why we couldn't, make any progress um, with under uh, Barack Obama with with people who voted for not everybody, but people who voted for Barack Obama, who you would say, wait, you said the deficit was a problem. It was un-American. We've doubled it. We've doubled it. Doesn't matter. You're just a racist. And that came from a place that I think the media really helped um, stir people up into a place of anger with the people who disagreed with him. And we helped. We mm-hmm, helped. Mm-hmm. Now the same thing is happening with Donald Trump. Um, and I know because I'm on the out with Donald Trump people, too. I mean, I'm doing the same thing I was doing with Barack Obama that I'm doing now. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and it, 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 it and I've made mistakes in the last year by um, being too forceful with my words where I should have said, talk to me. You don't need to hear me. Talk to me. Tell me what you're feeling. I understand that because I do now. I understand what they're feeling. And I understand what the Hillary Clinton people were feeling. Hmm. <laughs> what if you could. This, this makes me sound like a lunatic, doesn't it? No, no, it doesn't. It's <laughs> no. You know what I'm thinking of? Um I I did just for last week's show. I did a, a, a public conversation with Matt Kibbe, who's a libertarian. Oh yeah, I know and, Matt. Yeah, and Heather McGee, who's a you know progressive activist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up at the end quoting because um, what came to mind was you know quoting Walt Whitman. Whitman, and actually I'm getting into my phone because I want to say it right. Um, you know. 
do I contradict myself <laughs> very well? I can, because I am large, I contain multitudes. And the fact is we all do. And you are just, you know, you're being very honest. You're, you're laying this out there, your multitudes. Um, Can I tell you, but mm -hmm. we are all like this. Mm. We are all like this. And we want, for some reason, we want to put everybody else into this box. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. And I We're think, all like this. And I know, I think your critics would say that you've done that. And I think you're, you're, you're confessing that. I mean, do you understand why people are yes. confused by you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. And I think, and I want to be really clear, mm -hmm. I accept responsibility for... A lot of it. A lot of it. And all the big ones that I've spent two years talking about, mm -hmm. I take responsibility. Mm -hmm. But we all have to take responsibility as well for only listening to the clips, only listening with a hard heart. And I'm, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people on the right and the left, mm -hmm. listening to people that don't agree with them or don't fit into that box immediately expecting the worst, immediately going, okay, I've heard, so I know, you You also are this. Right. No, maybe right. not. Right. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I do realize I've really asked you to talk about yourself and you've been in this role that you don't like to have <laughs> on the microphone. Um, so let me just end by asking, um, you know, I, I really want to believe and I do believe that there's, there's overlap between our audiences, you know, and, and my, my audience right. is not just pub, a public radio audience anymore. But, but even so, you know, we can get too narrow a vision of that and of your audience. But I would like for you to say, what would you like, um, you know, let's say people listening to public radio um, to know about your audiences as their fellow citizens that you think they don't know this 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 complexity that feels important to you that we hear that we see I don't I, I don't want to assume that I know what your audience knows yeah I not you know. yeah so, but you know what I'm I mean I do these are artificial so, constructs and there's a grain of truth and they're not the whole truth but the, to that grain of truth so what I would say if I were introducing two friends together, you guys aren't going to think you have anything in common, but all of the big things you do have in common, all of the big things, all of the, you know, there's, there's no one in this, within the sound of my voice that, that doesn't believe in the freedom of speech, in the freedom, uh, the freedom of, uh, uh, of, uh, to, to the, to have your, 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 um, uh, private life, not being snooped in, that that you can live next to your neighbor and they can be different than you and they can believe different things and you could be an atheist and they could be a Christian and you could be best of friends. Um, there's nobody that I believe, that I know in my real life that is, is that kind of person that says, oh, well, I only want people like this. And I live in Texas. <laughs> We're so much alike and we're being defined, and I believe, uh, whether people know it or not, being used and manipulated um, uh, and pushed into making caricatures of each other. My audience is, I really truly believe, the biggest hearted, most generous audience in the history of radio. Uh, we have given away in the last five years... I think it's over $60 million of funds that we've raised from my audience, $60 million 
Do you know any other group of people that have done that? Um, and some of it for things they don't agree with. Um, they are open-hearted people who, for the last eight years, have been really frightened. And if you will listen to them and get past the things that you think you understand, um, you will f- you will recognize many of those things you're frightened of, too. It's just different packaging. Hmm. You... Um... You've also said, I mean, you, you, we, we talked about how you said, you know, when you say the last eight years, that's, you know, that's the Obama presidency. You've talked about being freaked out and a lot of people were freaked out. And this is something that's hard for people on the other side to understand. But you've also recently said that you, Obama has made, Obama has made you a better man. Um, what do you mean by that? What's that? I don't think we'd have the same conversation today that we um, had uh, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of the um, things that have happened in my life, um, because of the things that I've done, both good and bad, I'm a better person. I've I've taken um, the good as, I believe, the imposter that it is, um, and not taken that as a uh, as a badge of honor, and I've taken the bad um, to heart enough to go. Is that true? To be able to to grow, um, if I could rewind the clock and keep the knowledge that I have, I'd be a totally different man than I was at Fox in two thousand eight. I don't know what I would do. If I still believed the same things that I, I I did then and I do now, I don't know how I would present it, hmm. but I wouldn't do what I did. Hmm. Well, Glenn, I thank you so much for this. It's um, there's nothing tied up in a neat bow here, and that <laughs> is the way life is, right? It's one of those movies that it ends, and you're like. I'm not sure I like the ending. And you're like, yeah, I know, but that's the way it is. (laughs) I'm so glad that we are in conversation. um, I am too. Yeah. So. I think your voice is really, um, you know, we have a few mutual friends and and I think your voice is really, really important. And anything that I can do to, um, to help get, uh, I really, I, I hope I'm not wrong. I mean, this last 18 months has been so soul-crushing um, mm-hmm. because I realized, gosh, a lot of people on the conservative side, they didn't mean the things that they said. They they weren't for small government. They weren't for small spending. They weren't for, you know, God and country. They were just for winning. Mm-hmm. And that's been soul-crushing. And But I'm... I'm convinced that that came from a place of fear, and if we can, um, if I can guard my people's heart, and you can guard your people's heart, and someday we can get them together, Mm. I think we can begin with, you know, if we can just keep rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, if we can do that, (laughs) we can maybe make things better. Yeah, well, I love that idea, so let's, we, we will keep talking, no doubt. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good rest of your day. You too. Yeah. Thanks. God bless. Bye bye. You too. Boy, she's, great. she's remarkable.